What's up, guys? This is Ryan Flanagan, and you're listening to my one-on-one podcast presented by Lacrosse All-Stars. First, a big thank you to Connor Wilson and Jeff Brunel, Lacrosse All-Stars, for making this happen. I've got the easy job. I wake up, I talk to some of the best lacrosse players, coaches, and personalities in the world. They do all the hard stuff. They put this thing together, they cut it, they edit it, they add the music, they make it sound good, then they upload it to iTunes so we can all listen. One of the things we want to do with the one-on-one podcast is give you, the listener, an inside look at some of the biggest names in the lacrosse world. We'll talk about how they got started in a sport, how they fell in love with it, their opinion on some of the biggest topics in our game today, and then how they got to where they are within our sport. We also want to hear your thoughts and opinions. Let us know what you think about what we're talking about and who you want to hear us talk to. You can tweet at Lacrosse All-Stars or you can tweet at myself, at RyanFlanagan24 on Twitter. We love your feedback, we love your opinions, and we hope we can create something that you enjoy. Today, we've got Marcus Holman joining us. Marcus will tell us all about how he got into the game and what it was like playing for his dad from the first time he picked up a stick all the way through his record-setting career at the University of North Carolina. He'll talk about the jump from college across to the MLL and what it was like playing for Team USA and what his life's like now as a true professional lacrosse player. If you're a dad coaching your son, if you're a son playing for your dad, or if you're a, you know a young guy that's hoping to play for Team USA and become a professional lacrosse player one day, Marcus is a great guy to listen to. Marcus, thanks for joining us today. It's uh, it's a pleasure to have you on. Appreciate it. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited uh, excited to be a part of it and uh, talk a little bit about lacrosse and, and myself. Yeah, so you were one of the guys. So so when when Jeff Brunel and Connor Wilson from Lacrosse All Stars and we all got together to talk about this idea, you were one of the guys that me personally, I definitely wanted to get on here. I've known you obviously for probably close to 10 years now um, and just always <laughs> admired your your ability on the field your work ethic off the field and obviously just your passion for the game which I think is so many people so many people can see as soon as they get to know you or get to uh, get to watch you play and just be around you whether it's coaching or playing or whatever it is so thought that was a really cool way to kick it off with these podcasts and uh, can't wait to, to let people know what it's like so if you could tell us a little bit, you know, where you grew up, how you got into the game, you know, what, what kind of drove you to the sport, where, uh, where the beginnings were. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, just to get started, grew up in, in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, you know, the, I would like to say that the hotbed of lacrosse, uh, you're, you're, you would probably say Long Island. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's, that's where we differ a little bit, but yeah, I grew up in, in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, my, my father, Brian Holman, played lacrosse at Johns Hopkins in the, uh, in the early 1980s, uh, was actually a two-time All-American goalie there. And my mom actually played lacrosse at Towson University as well. I think she, uh, she led her team in scoring one year um, at about the same time in the, in the uh, early 80s there. So, you know, right off the bat, I, you know, I mentioned my parents because I like to say I, I was born with a lacrosse stick in my hand, which – uh, you know, may or may not be true. I, I really started playing, you know, as, as early as I can remember. And, um, yeah, I've been, you know, been playing, I would say since I was five years old and obviously growing up in Baltimore w- was important for me because there, you know, lacrosse is such a big deal. Uh, and, and it really is kind of the talk of the town when, when spring rolls around. So, um, yeah, I attribute a lot of my success and my passion for lacrosse you know, from my hometown in Baltimore. So you grew up in a hotbed. I grew up in a hotbed. It, it's definitely, and, and now both of us live in non-hotbed areas in, uh, in the North Carolina area specifically. But 
what was it like? I mean, you jumped in and it was a rec league and, and kind of was it every kid in town? Did you play for a certain, well, yeah, was it cl- a club program type driven rec league or how did, did that whole operate? How many guys were you playing with? How many, how big was the league? Right. So, um, initially, you know, when, in the younger ages, probably, you know, when I was five, six, seven, we had a soft stick league, um, which, you know, for those listeners who don't know what soft stick is, it's a plastic, completely past plastic stick. There's no mesh in your, in your, uh, in your cross there. So it really emphasizes fundamentals, you know, throwing overhand, scooping ground balls. And then, you know, as, as you grow and get into third, fourth, fifth grade, uh, we did have a rec program. Um, I played for Towson Town. I vividly remember that. And, you know, we had guys that, uh, Steel Stanwick played for Towson Town, myself. You know, we had a bunch of, of guys that went on to have successful college careers in our rec program. And, Again, the emphasis was on, you know, just playing the game because you love it and, and, and meeting new friends and guys, you know, that maybe went to other, other middle schools. And, uh, you know, you formed a bond with, the, with those guys through your team. And it, again, you know, we'll, I'm sure we'll get into this, but, you know, at, at no point in time was it about, you know, raking in money or, or the recruiting aspect of it. It was just playing because, you know, you'd love to play on those spring nights, um, against your, your rival rec team from across the way. So that's kind of how, how um, my, I guess, lacrosse career started was through that rec program. Yeah. Was there, I know where I grew up on Long Island, we were, we were really fortunate where your dad actually knows him. The Schneck brothers coached us growing up in rec league and the Justo brothers who are Virginia guys grew up coaching us. You know, were you fortunate to have guys like that at the rec level? I'm sure your dad was involved, but, but was there other guys, you know, that had really successful playing careers that just gave back to that rec program? Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you guessed it with, with my dad, he was kind of the, uh, as as I remember it, you know, he coached my, my rec, uh, team and he coached my, my club team actually throughout high school. So, um, I was very fortunate to have him kind of, you know, on the sideline and, uh, he's actually, he's the volunteer assistant right now at North Carolina, as you know. Um, but for some of the listeners that, that may not know that. And, you know, I, I was very fortunate to have him, him, uh, coach me. Uh, there were definitely some, some tough times, uh, in that relationship. Um, as any, you know, parent knows that is trying to coach their kid, I'm sure it can be very, very difficult. And as any kid <laughs> knows that has played for their dad, um, you know, there are some nights, some, some awkward drive, drives home after, after games. But, you know, we, we, uh, we worked through that and, and really, um, we're, we have a stronger relationship because of that. And, uh, I'm thankful for it for sure. Yeah. I, I played for your dad and he's, he's had a, <laughs> a huge influence on my life. And we kind of call him the godfather at Carolina just because he's, <laughs> he's such a good, just a, a down to earth and has such a good view of the bigger picture kind of outside lacrosse. I remember I talked yeah. to him a, a ton of times about, you know, just school and life and things off the lacrosse field. And, and I always joked that if it weren't for your dad, I probably wouldn't have made it through Carolina. Uh, <laughs> What was, so many, so many of our listeners are likely dads that are coaching their sons or coaching in rec league. What, what did your dad do so well early on that, that kind of created that love for the game just on the field, off field? Was he always pushing you to play or was it more of a pull and, and the two of you involved in the game, you know, kind of built that passion amongst both of you? Yeah, you know, it, it's, it has to be a two way street. So, you know, he, he would always tell me, you know, listen, Marcus, I'm, I'm never going to make you, you know, throw against the wall. I'm never going to make you go out and, and shoot on your own. 
in the backyard. But he said, if, if you ever need my help, if you ever need a hand, I'm always here for you. So, you know, he, again, he really put the onus on me, uh, to, to put in the extra work and, and to do those, those little things on my own time. And I always knew that, Hey dad, you know, can you feed me some balls? And he was always there for that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on the sideline and coaching wise, you know, he, he treated me like, like any other player and maybe was, was a little bit harder on me. Um, and you know, you have to find that, that balance and that relationship where, um, you know, there was a point in time where, you know, I, I walked up to my dad and said, dad, you know, you got to stop. You got to take it easy on me. Like, I know you're trying to, I know you're trying to, to not, um, you know, maybe play me more than other kids or, you know, treat me any differently than other kids, but you know, you're, you're singling me out a little bit too much, I think. So, um, he had to dial that back in and we kind of had to, had to work from there. But again, you know, the, the relationship, um, was stronger because of that. And, and he worked on that. And, uh, again, very, very thankful to, to have him in my life and have him develop you know, my character as an athlete, I think early on in my career. Very cool. It's uh, like I said, he, I was fortunate to play with him and there are not many guys out there that are, uh, that are like that in terms of creating pretty well-rounded young men. So, so definitely mm-hmm. somebody that if you haven't met him, those guys that are listening, definitely <laughs> find the opportunity to meet him. You went to the Gilman He's, school. Absolute yeah. powerhouse in, uh, in the, in the Baltimore DC area. What was that like? Everyone hears so much about, you know, that MIAA scene and, and obviously Gilman and Calvert Hall and, and Boys Latin. So many of those schools are just lacrosse, kind of legendary lacrosse schools. What was that like? You know, how did you end up at Gilman? Uh, you played with a lot of good lacrosse players at Gilman. You know, how, how did those kind of relationships foster? And then what was the summer schedule like? You know, you talked about your dad coaching your club team, but what was Gilman's expectation in the summers and, and kind of how did that uh, that program just continue building? Yeah. So, uh, you know, my experience at Gilman was, was absolutely great. Um, you know, I've got to, got to give a shout out to, to head coach Brooks Matthews. He's also a UNC alum. Um, and he was just an awesome, awesome coach to play for. Um, and just to give some, the listeners, you know, a little bit of, of how things work kind of in the MIAA and these hotbed areas, you know, I'm, I'm a freshman and I was running second line midfield on my JV team. <laughs> Very so different. Everybody you know? kinda, yeah. Everybody kind of thinks, you know, with the, with this early recruiting that, you know, you have to be an absolute stud as a freshman. And when, you know, I don't think that's necessarily true. Um, you know, I, I went through the, the JV program at Gilman and was taught, you know, a little bit more about the game and, and continued to develop throughout the summer and into the fall. And then by the time I was a sophomore, I had kind of made that leap. Um, where I switched to attack and was eventually starting, um, as a sophomore at Gilman, which again, you know, is, is a pretty big deal to be starting as a sophomore, as, as funny as that seems to say nowadays. Gilman w- was, was ultra competitive. You know, my class, my class of 2009 was just really, really a competitive group of kids that, that came together and, and really bought into the idea that, you know, the, the strength of the, the wolf is in the pack. And, you know, we had guys like Greg McBride, who I think was the number three recruit. Jack Doyle uh, was an awesome midfielder. Davey Emla, uh, another guy that I played with with at North Carolina. Harry Priebus, starting defenseman at Virginia for two years. So we really kind of had the entire field covered. And then we, 
you know, we had other guys that, that loved the game and grew up playing and, and maybe didn't have the, uh, the division one caliber that we had, but you had, you have to have those glue guys, right? Flanny, you know that you got to mm-hmm. have your, your guys that do the dirty work on ground balls, you know, the guys that come in and, and play man down. And, um, you know, what I, what I think I gave credit to coach Matthews early on because what he did such a good job of was, was making sure that he treated you know, the, the guys that were committed to, to schools and the, maybe the top five, six players on the team, he treated us like everybody else. So there wasn't, you know, any, uh, drama queen standard for us. You know, we didn't, you know, not have to run the sprints or anything like that. You know, it was, it was very level headed from him across the board. And, uh, you know, we had some fantastic teams. I think I actually calculated between my junior and senior years at Gilman, we were 35 and two with uh with one um MIAA championship as as a senior. Uh so very very uh you know successful two years there and uh you know certainly some of the most fun lacrosse I've ever been a part of. Yeah, that's that's big time lacrosse like you said. It's a it's a different ball game than what from what a lot of people are used to, but like you said it, it's great that you get that perspective where kids are still playing JV lacrosse and you know it, not everybody is running first line midfield or, or starting an attack as a freshman on their varsity team so it's uh it is cool to hear that you played football too you you know a multi-sport athlete and a, and a pretty good football player what was that like and and you know who was I know I think Greg was a football guy or Davey were those football guys I mean was it the same crew of guys playing both football and lacrosse or were there guys just focusing purely on lacrosse at Gilman no, I mean, it was definitely, definitely a different time period where, you know, we just wanted to continue to, to develop our, our kind of athletic prowess. And, you know, I felt like that if, if I played lacrosse all year round at that, you know, stage of my, my career, it would have probably worn me down. So I really looked forward to the fall and then playing football. I played strong safety, uh, a little bit of slot receiver as well. Uh, I actually played basketball as well up until my, my senior year, uh, and where I kind of forego that to, to condition and train for, for my senior year spring. But, you know, I was, I was always, uh, looking forward to playing other sports in the summertime growing up. I'd play tennis, I'd play golf. Um, you know, so I was, I was always kind of figuring out, you know, where could I compete <laughs> mm. and what sport can I compete in ping pong? Let's go put me on the table. I'm ready to play. Um, so again, you know, I think, I think that leads into kind of the competitive aspect of, of being a great athlete. And I think there are just so many crossover skills that you learn in playing a sport like basketball or, or playing a sport like football. And when you, when you really develop toughness and, you know, you're, you're training in those, those two a days in the August heat, you know, that, that really builds, uh, builds toughness and builds character in an athlete. So, I, you know, I'm very thankful for, for the athletic department at Gilman and the, and the, you know, the careers I was able to have kind of in sports other than other lacrosse. And those are, we, you and I both coach a lot of kids that have gone on, like there's some, just being in North Carolina, there's some big public school football schools. Um, and we hear a lot of kids talk about, well, it's too tough to make the football team. But Gilman is, is at times in the past, I know, has been a nationally ranked football team, right? Yeah, yeah, they definitely have. Um, so my freshman year, when I, I, I uh, was on the JV football team at Gilman, they were actually, I think, ranked number 12 in the country. Uh, so, so that was really cool to watch. And you saw guys like Brian Carroll 
who was a tremendous midfielder at, at Virginia, you know, you saw him be the, be the starting linebacker on the football team. And that was really, really cool to see as a young, you know, aspiring lacrosse player that, hey, you know, it's, it's okay to play two sports. Um, and it's, it was actually, you know, really looked upon with, with praise and, and admiration. So, um, yeah, the football program was, was awesome and they, they did a great job of, of developing, you know, athletes, um, throughout your, your three or four year career there. Very cool. So that's, that's, a, I know the Brian Carroll story, but for some of the young guys listening, mm-hmm. it's so interesting to hear that. That's a guy who was, I don't know if he was the MIA defensive player of the year in football, but I know he was, uh, was in the conversation there and then obviously went on to have a, a great career at, at Virginia and then play in the MLL. So just speaking of how athletic he is and a guy that continued to play two sports all throughout his high school career. Um, well, switching gears a little bit to the recruiting process, you're, you're involved in it now with, with coaching team club programs. What was it like for you? How has it changed? You know, what is kind of your thought on the, uh, the current environment? Yeah. So, uh, you know, the, the, the process today, I think you and I can agree is just, it's out of control. I mean, it's, it's, it's not right. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what the fix is, but the, the way it's going right now, you know, when is it going to stop, Flanny? When, when are we not going to, you know, be recruiting seventh and sixth graders? committing um you know eighth and seventh graders so it's 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 pretty crazy i mean to, to say the least and again you know going back to my story as a, as a kid who in ninth grade is is running second line midfield on his jv team you know i, I don't think that and I've, I've told this to people before i think that if the recruiting scene was you know, the way it is now, like it was when I was getting recruited, there's no way that I would have been a, a uh, North Carolina recruit. No chance. Because no I, way. I was, yeah, I was just a kid that, you know, kind of got better each season and each year that I played in high school. And then by the time, you know, I was a senior, you know, or maybe a junior, I, I would have been worthy of that. But again, you know, I, I wasn't six two and, and 200 pounds and running a, a four or five forty. I was just, you know, an average sized kid that had a really good IQ and, and could finish the ball around the goal. So, uh, kind of diverging there a little bit, but my, my recruiting process for me, the big summer, I think, and I think it probably was the same for you was that summer going into your junior year. And we again, were, that, yeah, that, that's a year ahead of us. So for us, it was, so okay. I, I wasn't even, I was kind of same boat. I didn't, I didn't play much at all my sophomore year of high school so you started I was still on the bench my sophomore year of high school and then uh I was probably the the last class where it was the guys going junior to senior year and then obviously steel before mm-hmm. that steel steel was the next year where I think things kind of sped up a little bit but yeah I'm with you I mean it, it definitely is a different environment where I wasn't playing at all as a sophomore so the fact or the idea of getting recruited is just insane you know I just wasn't there and I think a lot of us are probably in the same boat where not necessarily late bloomers, but just, you, you just don't know when you're a freshman or yeah. sophomore. I mean, you can, you can, you know, you just got your license. You don't, you're still like figuring out what, what the world's like. And, uh, you know, I just, so that, you know, that summer going into my junior year was big. I think I, you know, I went to three or four, I think I went to three tournaments with my club team, which was the Baltimore breakers. And then I went to one tournament with, with a Gilman team. So, you know, four tournaments, um, you know, uh, September 1st, you start getting the letters in the mail and then you can email coaches and, 
Um, from, from there, you know, I, I, I did get a fair amount of, of, uh, of recruiting letters. You know, I remember, you know, most of the Ivy League schools, Maryland, uh, Johns Hopkins, UNC, um, no Duke, no Virginia, no Syracuse. Uh, so, you know, I, I kind of had to, to go from there and then, um, I ended up narrowing it down to four schools, which were North Carolina, Notre Dame, uh, Johns Hopkins and Princeton. And from there, I, you know, I visited all those schools. I did overnights, uh, at Nor- Notre Dame in North Carolina. And really, I, I enjoyed the, the, the process of going to see those schools. I enjoyed, you know, talking with some of the guys and getting to know what it's like. Hey, you know, what are classes like? Um, you know, how's, how's the social scene? What's the cross like? You know, what is the coach really like? Because, you know, as a, as a, as a coach, he's going to sell you on the school. He's going to, you know, give you the, the red carpet treatment. But you really, it's really important to talk to the players and figure out, you know, how things really go. And when I when I left Carolina, I just, you know, I knew in my heart that it was it was where I was meant to be. And, um, you know, I, I'll never forget leaving Chapel Hill, just envisioning myself there for the next four years. And um, it really made sense to me as a, you know, as a junior. So I committed as a junior, uh, um, January of my junior year. So that was about on par, uh, back then with, with normal, normal players my age. And there was no, no talk. And cause we hear about it so much now you didn't, you never repeated a grade. You didn't PG. It was just kind of went through your no. normal high school process and, and, played in four tournaments versus you and I here today about so many kids that are trying to play in seven or eight tournaments in the summer or, or five tournaments in a bunch right. of camps. You, you kind of stuck with four and even played with your high school team, which, which we hear a lot of kids avoiding nowadays, but, and this wasn't, I mean, this was what, six years ago, seven years ago, not, not mm-hmm. terribly far off. Um, different environment at Carolina when you committed from when you stepped on campus. <laughs> absolutely yeah there, yep and, and i was yeah. i was in the mix on all that and you know kind of so you had you you were being recruited by a different coaching staff than you ended up playing for what was uh what, talk to me about that that whole process and kind of all that unfolded there yeah i think i think some i got great advice kind of early on in the, the recruiting process and and that advice was you know hey don't forget that you know you're committing to a university you know, you're not committing to a head coach, which ironically enough ended up, you know, that's how my situation played out at, at UNC. I committed under coach John Halls. And when I stepped on campus, it was coach Bresci's second season there. So, um, you know, coach Bresci and I had developed a relationship via phone calls. I'd met him once or twice. And, um, yeah, the, the, the culture shift was, was in full effect, when I, when I stepped on campus as a freshman, um, and you know, it, I can say, you know, it was very positive at, you know, down in Chapel Hill. And I think that, you know, when, when people view UNC now as a, as a lacrosse program, you know, they're, they're very quick to, to judge us on our final four appearances and very quick to judge us on, you know, Hey, you guys have won a national championship since, since 1991 and, and, and blah, blah, blah. But, if, you know, and I, I tell this to people a lot as well, you know, there are some very, very high quality character young men at, that are playing lacrosse at the University of North Carolina. And, you know, again, maybe it doesn't translate to, to national championships, but, you know, I can tell you that 
the kids, you know, that are playing there are the types of kids that, you know, you want your, your daughter to date. Um, and I think that's important and people lose sight of that sometimes that they don't realize that these are college kids and they're, they're, they're growing and they're, they're trying to figure out what they want to do with their lives. And, um, there's, there's a lot of pressure on them to, to do the right thing on the lacrosse field. But I can say, you know, for sure that they're doing the right things off the field as well. And I think that's, that's really important. Uh, you were part of that and I was part of that. And I was there, like you said, I, I was kind of there through the whole change where I played for coach Haas my first year and then brushed my remaining three and, and was involved in the whole culture change that went on, which then I, I'm with you. It was a very positive thing, but, but you were almost one of the big, or you, you were the biggest driver of that. You know, <laughs> coach Breshi did so much. Coach Holman did so much. Coach Myers, coach Fife's coach Metz, everybody that's been through there has had their touch, but the first day you're on campus, I remember it. I, I, I'm, I wonder what you remember of it, but I remember the first time that we get out for workouts, we're on the track. Your dad was there a year earlier. So, so I guess you can talk about your dad being there a year earlier before you got there. And then, you know, what was it like just your first day playing college lacrosse when you're officially with the team? Again, I, I knew the situation we were on the track and you know, kind of what was, what was everything that was going through your mind there? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, again, I was very fortunate to, to have my dad on the staff for, for a year prior before I arrived on campus, like you mentioned. And, you know, his advice to me was, you know, really dedicate yourself to, to being in the best shape you can be. So, you know, I took that that summer after my senior year at Gilman and, you know, where, where I guess maybe some lacrosse players might have, you know, Hey, relax during the summer. And, you know, this is my last summer before I, before I really jump into the big time. Um, you know, I really, really focused myself to, to training and, and to being in great shape. And again, another little side piece of how, you know, again, very fortunate. I feel about this. We, my, our family moved to Chapel Hill from Baltimore, uh, early in that summer. So that was June, 2009. And, you know, when we moved down to Chapel Hill, I really didn't know a lot of people <laughs> in the area. So really my only options were like to keep myself occupied where, Hey, I'm going to go over to the turf and shoot or, Hey, I'm going to go over to the turf and, and work out. Uh, so I, I was fortunate to, to have that. And, you know, I, I really wanted to pass the run test, uh, which I think is, is where you're leading to, to, you know, early, early mornings on, on that track. And uh, was fortunate enough to, to pass the run test and uh, inherit the, the number one from from the legendary Bart Wagner, who who was a, an awesome attackman before me. I think led the team in points for for three years. So I, I took a lot of pride in in wearing number one um, off the bat there when I stepped on on campus in the fall of 2010. You didn't just pass the run test. You, you you may or may not have won the run test. Uh, I was I was I was I was behind you. I will admit that. I'm yeah. definitely behind you. <laughs> that was and you're not a runner and, and I think and I don't remember yeah. the exact test, but I I want to say it was a mile in under six minutes. And the you know the joke for a handful of us was, hey, well let's do this in five if the test is six. And I I think that was part of the culture shift because I know when I got yeah. to Carolina that was not the way it was. But I know with with guys like yourself and and um, just so many guys that were of that mindset when we got to the track that day it was all right let's do this thing as fast as we can. And, and I remember you came out and I don't remember the exact time, but it had to be under five and a half minutes. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, uh, again, you know, something I had looked forward to all, all summer and just, just, you know, as a freshman, you know, and I, when people ask me, Hey, what advice would you give to, to an incoming freshman going to a division one school? I would, I would tell them the same thing that my dad told me, you know, commit yourself to being in the best shape you can be. You know, your, your, your stick work may not be up to the level of, of some of the older players, but what can set you apart is, is your conditioning and your training. And those are things that you can control as a, you know, an 18 year old entering college. So, uh, I appreciate the, the little boost of, of confidence there you, you instilled in me because I don't, I don't remember that quite as well, but. I guess I was moving on the track that day. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, the reason I remember and what stuck out, and it, it's just getting to know you over the years, is that is, I mean, in a nutshell, that's Marcus Holman. And that's the Marcus Holman mm-hmm. we've all gotten to know. And somebody who's just always going to work as hard as they possibly can, is incredibly passionate about lacrosse, about what they're doing, whether it's it's playing hoops when we were playing pickup basketball at, at Fetzer, <laughs> whether it's you know running track workouts or lifting where does the passion come from? What is the motor? You know, what keeps you going? Because you're still like that today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you got to have a motor. You got to, you got to be an energy guy. Um, you know, again, those are, those are things I've, I've really prided myself on in, in my lacrosse career. And, you know, I, I, I keep going back to, to my dad again, because again, if you're listening to this, you, you realize how big of an influence he, he's been on my life. You know, he was he was the first one to tell me, you know, Marcus, you know, God didn't really bless you with with the most athletic bones in your body. You know, you're not the fastest, you're not the biggest, you're not the strongest. But, you know, I think he gave you the biggest heart. And, uh, you know, when when he would say things like that to me, you know, I just would take it, you know, as shoot. I got to be out working because if, if I'm not working, working super hard, then, you know, I'm going to get left behind because there are guys that are you know, maybe more, more naturally talented than, than I am. And I think you can attest to that as well, Flanny. Um, you know, it's, it, it started with, with doing the extra things. And I think, you know, having guys like you to look up to and a guy like Sean Delaney, who, who, you know, I'll never forget as a freshman on campus, a guy that I just wanted to be like because of how hard he worked. Um, you know, that's, it's something I continue to take with me today. And, I, I, you know, I realize that if, you know, when I step on the field, I, I, may, I might not be the best player, but, you know, I feel like I've, I've worked the hardest out of anybody. And, and, you know, that, that instills in me a confidence to, to go out and, and play uh, a high level of lacrosse. And that changes the guys around you. And it's uh, just being part of it myself. It's so infectious. And I think one of the, mm-hmm. the pe- things that people have been fans of Carolina lacrosse or college lacrosse in general, we're really fortunate to watch. Jimmy Bitter and Joey Sankey. And those are two guys you played with. And, and when they got to campus, they were really good lacrosse players and they were, you know, good people, good athletes. But they picked up a very similar style to you and, and they learned that early on. And now when we look at Carolina this season, everyone's talking right now. They don't ride. They don't pick up ground balls. They're not as scrappy. Yeah. Joey Sankey and, and Jimmy Bitter kind of learned that from you. Yeah. And I think. You know, playing playing with those guys for, you know, I would say a season and a half. We probably started um, started every game together my junior year, uh, and then through obviously my senior year as well. Um, you know, I, I wanted to make sure I was I was helping those guys uh, just do everything they could to become the best. And I think, like you mentioned, uh, something that they 
may not have had coming in was was the ability to ride and do the little things, uh, communicate, you know, get guys in in the right place on the field, because you know leaders build other leaders, and and to me it was important that you know if I if I wanted to have any effect on on UNC. Um, you know, hopefully it would have come in a, a national championship trophy. It didn't, but you know, f- for me to have a lasting effect, you know, it would be to, you know, influence other guys around me and build up guys like Joey Sankey and Bitter and Chad Tutton and Ryan Kilpatrick. Um, and you know, Jake Mathai, guys that are, are just tr- phenomenal lacrosse players and guys that are really talented that, that want to be and want to do things that way. So. I think, you know, those, and it's a two way street because those guys have to be willing to listen and, and willing to kind of put their, their ego aside a little bit and, uh, and learn. And I think kind of to your point about, you know, this 2016 version of, of Carolina lacrosse, I think that people don't realize that between myself, Jimmy Bitter and Joey Sankey, within the last five years, you're, you're losing your top three scores of all time. Like within, within a five year span, you had those three guys come through your program and now, you know, none of them are there. So, you know, right off the bat, you know, you're, you're losing phenomenal talent. Uh, and not only that, but like you said, you're, you're losing some leadership and, uh, and some drive. So, you know, it, it we we knew kind of coming into this season it would be different for Carolina. Hey, you know, you lose three All-Americans in, in Bitter, Sankey, and Tutton. Um, but I think you, you lose a little bit of that leadership too, and maybe that's where, where Carolina's struggling a little bit right now. I think it's still early on in the season. I still I still think they're going to be a very good team come come late April and May. And uh, But right now they, they, they've got some growing up to do, and, and they've got to do it quickly because their, their schedule moving forward here is, is pretty tough. Yeah, and it, it, like you said, it's those weren't just losing you, Jimmy, and Joey. Those weren't just good players. Those are historic players. Those are guys that are going down mm-hmm. to some of the best players in Carolina history. And, and we don't really have other pro. I mean, you don't really point to any other program in the country that can that can right. speak to losing that much offensive firepower in that short a time, and still expected to be a top ten, top fifteen program. You know, so so really, just something when you when you put it in perspective like that of how much they yeah. lost, it definitely helps helps people kind of grasp the current environment there. Um, yeah. But you played, so you played with Billy Bitter, you played with Davey Emily, you played with Joey Sankey, Jimmy Bitter, Chad Tutton. What was that like? You know, what what was it like playing with Billy and playing with Jimmy, who, who we've all been able to watch for so long? You know, that's unbelievable firepower. What was it like just being on the field with those guys? I mean, they, they, you know, they make your job easy uh, as a, as a player when you, you buy into to playing a team version of, of lacrosse. It's it's uh it's very easy when you play with talented guys like that. You know, um, some of the things that that Billy Bitter did in practice and in games. I mean, still, I don't know if I've seen a guy split a double team or you know make make a guy fall over the net as, as easy as Billy made it seem. Um, and, uh, you know, you mentioned another guy in there, Davey Emma, a very, very good friend of mine, um, transferred in after his sophomore season at Georgetown. And we kind of rekindled our, our chemistry that we built at Gilman. He went to Gilman as well. So, you know, he was a guy that I like to say Davey's always open on the crease. You know, he does a great job working in space and playing without the ball. And again, was, was another guy that kind of had to sacrifice 
you know, hey, you know, I can't start at attack, so I'm going to play midfield. Maybe not score as much as I, I would if I was playing attack, but I'm going to lead this first midfield unit and, you know, really dictate kind of how the success of the offense is going to be by being an unselfish player. So, yeah, you mentioned it. I mean, Sean Delaney, um, you know, the t- Jimmy Bitter, Sankey, Chad Tutton, uh, you know, didn't get to play with, with Luke Goldstock, who I think is a, is a phenomenal player as a junior right now, at Carolina. Um, and he's kind of the next, the next wave of, of hopefully, a, you know, great attackman, um, after a, a monster sophomore year. So hopefully he can build off that and, and get some, uh, get some flow moving forward here this season. It'll hopefully it works out for them. Back in 2013, yeah. you, you go from your historic NCAA career right to the MLL, USA tryouts, earn a spot on the USA team. What was that whole, you know, take us through that ride and that experience. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I think again, I've got a point to to my dad for, for giving me some direction here. When I graduated in, in 2013 in the spring, uh, went right into playing lacrosse with the Ohio machine and and working some camps throughout the summer. Uh, So that, that summer kind of flew by. And then, you know, when that was all done, I want to say late August, um, you know, you go from really for me dedicating four years of, of my life to, to trying to win a national championship and build a program and, and lead, lead teams, um, year out to shoot. I'm kind of alone now. Like I don't have, I don't have any teammates with me. I don't, I don't have a, a, a goal necessarily I can strive for and, and, you know, quite honestly, didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, um, for, you know, a week or two. And at the, you know, urgence of my dad, he, he said, Hey, you know, stick with this. Um, you, you know, stick with the lacrosse piece. You know, you really have a, have a name and you can capitalize on right now and, and really put your best foot forward and, and try to make this, this USA team, which to me, you know, w- was really, really a- out of question for me, you know, growing up, you know, Team USA, like, holy cow, those are the best guys in the entire country. I don't know if I'm one of those guys. And, and, you know, you end up working towards a goal and you envision it and you, you know, you see it every day when you you put it up on your, your bulletin board. And, you know, it, again, you know, it, it was kind of surreal when it happened and the entire experience was, was absolutely unbelievable. Obviously, you know, disappointing end to it, you know, not being able to win the, the gold medal, but, um, you know, again, just another kind of experience to, to keep me hungry as a, as a player. Um, and hopefully we'll be able to, to earn a spot on the 2018 roster moving forward. Have you had a chance to, to just sit back and decompress and, and look at everything you've done over the past, what would call it six, seven years, or, or are you just <laughs> still kind of in the moment? Uh, I, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm still kind of moving forward here and I still, I still have a lot of goals that, I want to accomplish as, as an individual. And I, you know, I'm still very, very hungry to, to, to be the last team standing. Um, you know, I got, I got a bit of a taste of it at, at North Carolina, being able to win an ACC championship. Uh, you know, unfortunately wasn't able to, to bring the whole thing home, which, which, you know, I, I still have a little pang of regret there, but, you know, I'm still, still really, uh, I still have a lot of competitive fire inside of me to, to win and, and to make my teammates better and to really, you know, leave a, leave an impact on the sport of lacrosse, you know, not, not only on the field, but, 
but off the field as well and inspiring, you know, the next generations to come and, and to grow the sport across the country and, and to really put it, put lacrosse on a national scene, uh, and continue to grow the sport. What is, uh, you know, you, you talked about going from college to the MLL to team USA, you know, what are kind of the different layers of that on the field, off the field, you know, what goes into, we kind of heard about your Carolina experience. What was the shift like going to the MLL? What's it like playing there? And, and, you know, how much different is it from the college game? Yeah. It's, you know, each level you, you move up it, the game just gets faster. So I remember the jump from high school to college was, wow, holy, you know, these defensemen are, are bigger. The goalies are a lot better. Um, you know, you got to make decisions faster. And then, you know, as you go from college to professional, it's dang, these guys check a lot harder. And, you know, it's, it's a little bit more of, you know, you got to beat your guy sometimes in the MLL. And, and whereas college, it's, you know, maybe six guys working together. You might not have that chemistry in, in the professional league. And at times it's, you know, you got to be able to dodge and, and get to the goal. And again, the, the goalie play is, is phenomenal. And then in the international scene, um, or even, you know, transitioning to, to box lacrosse, it's, Hey, wow, these guys are the best of the best. And, you know, to, to be able to kind of hold your own there, you, you have to be able to, to put in the time and, and, you know, play wall ball and, and get shots up and, and run on the track. And it, you know, so each level that you bump up, it, it becomes more competitive and the skill level just becomes higher. Is there any doubt? I mean, would you say that the, I mean, that we, we hear different opinions and I'm obviously involved in all of it. You know, is the MLL the highest level of lacrosse in the world and, and does it get any better? Or is the college game the best level of lacrosse in the world? Uh, I think at, at this point in time, Major League Lacrosse is is definitely the, the highest level of lacrosse. Um, I think you can make the argument, you know, seven eight years ago that, you know, the the skill level at college is better. But I think now with with how guys are committed to their craft and, you know, guys like like yourself and and me and a guy like Joey Sankey or um, Drew Snyder, uh, you know, Jeremy Seawards, guys that are making full time commitments to the sport of lacrosse really their stick is in their hand, you know, 300 to, to 320 days out of the, out of the year. And I think that that creates a better product. I think, uh, you, you know, late, you know, late season MLL is, is the best lacrosse, the best field lacrosse in, in the entire world, I think for sure. And, and you hit on it. You're a professional lacrosse player. This is, this is what you do. And there's a, there's, some people out there that, that look at the MLL as a summer league, which I couldn't disagree any more with. You know, yeah. what is it like being a professional cross player? This is what you do. You know, playing in the MLL and, and being at, playing at the highest level in the MLL is, is what you wake up to do every day. Basically, you know, what kind of goes into that? What's your your day to day like? You know, how to how, do, how does your life kind of revolve around that? Right, I, and um, you know, springtime, I'm. I'm coaching at a high school with, with Joe Sanoski. We're coaching at Cary Academy this spring. Um, and you know, right now I've, I've really amped up my, uh, my training, um, and conditioning before training camp begins in, in mid April. And I think, I think a lot of people see, you know, the glamor and, um, you know, they see the, the gear and, you know, oh, you're a professional lacrosse player, but what they don't see is, you know, 
that I'm I'm so sore right now I can barely walk from from a workout that I did yesterday. Mm. And I don't think people people see, you know, the the time that's put in behind the scenes and the stick work and um you know the 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 late nights where you're up shooting or, or watching film. I don't think people really see that about professional lacrosse yet. And I think, you know, guys you know, I mentioned some names before. I think, you know, guys like Adam Gittleman and, and guys like Scott Ratliff, uh, you know, Kyle Harrison's been doing it for years. Guys like yourself who are, who are committed to the sport and can, committed to, to being professional athletes. You know, it's, it's, I think this has really dawned on me, you know, going into my fourth year that, you know, if you're not taking care of your body and if you're not training at a super, super high level, you're, Again, there, there's a younger crop of talent that's going to enter the league and your spot's going to get left behind. So, um, that, you know, mentally, that's, that's the, uh, the, the, the kind of mentality I try to take each year going into the season. And, um, I, I think because of that, and again, you know, the game will continue to grow and the sport will continue to grow and the, the level of play will continue to grow. How many hours a day are you saying, you know, just to, to put it in perspective for kids, how many hours a day are you lifting, shooting, you know, watching film, reading about the sport? Just, you know, how many hours a day are going into improving yourself on or off the field, on or in the gym, you know, as a lacrosse player? Yeah, I mean, it's it's I don't know if I can put, you know, a finite number on it because it's it's, you know, it it varies and it's so in and out. And, you know, I, I would say I commit probably about two hours a day to, to working out, uh, and training. Um, you know, I get my stick work in throughout, throughout my high school practice. And then, you know, I'm always, you know, on the prowl for, you know, new ideas or an extra man play. Um, you know, lacrosse film room is a, is an outlet on YouTube that I, I've utilized over the past couple of years, just watching, um, you know, I'll, maybe I'll watch a clip of Rob Pinnell doing, doing a uh, question mark dodges one day, or maybe I'll watch Denver's offense play, um, you know, because they, they're so innovative in, in what they do as a team. So, you know, again, I think, um, you know, the day we stop learning is the day we stop living. And I've, I've really, you know, tried to commit myself to, to knowing a lot about lacrosse. I think where I can improve is, is my knowledge of, of like, defense and defensive schemes and defensive styles. I think I spent a lot of time watching, you know, offensive players, which again is great, but you know, to kind of know, to be the best, you got to know your, your opponent a little bit better. So I think I'm, that's something I'm going to work on these next couple months leading up to the season. Looking out, you know, five, 10 years, what is, what is Marcus Holman doing? Oh, wow. Um, you know, I think, uh, again, you know, I, I realize that the, the sport is, is something I'm truly passionate about. And, uh, you know, I don't know if, if I'll be doing something else other outside of lacrosse, you know, whether it's, uh, maybe coaching at a division three school or coaching a division one program. Um, you know, I, I'm really not quite sure, but, you know, I, I realize that, you know, I'd like to play. I think my goal, I, I told my buddy the other day, was 10 seasons in Major League Lacrosse. So I'm entering my fourth year, and, you know, the, the legs are a little bit more heavy than they were my first year in. But, uh, you know, looking at guys like, like Kyle Harrison and, and uh, Paul Rabel and Casey Powell, oh, my gosh, and John Grant Jr., guys like those guys, 
who have really dedicated their lives to the sport, I think, you know, I would like to be a pioneer like that as well. Yeah, Casey's just turned 40 doing this 20 years. <laughs> you and I are sitting here hoping to make 10, which is incredible. Yeah. You well, awesome, Marcus. Thank you very much. I know you've got to uh, continue to get out and coaching and running clinics and yeah. having your influence on the sport. So appreciate it. I, I hope we have you back soon. I think you've got even more to tell than what we talked about today. But, but again, thank you very much for your time. <laughs> Absolutely, Flanny. Yeah, this was nice. Nice way to wake up and uh, enjoy a cup of coffee talking some lacrosse. So appreciate you having me on. Thanks to the guys as well at Lacrosse All-Stars. And uh, looking forward to, to maybe talking more in the future. All right. Have a good one, Marcus. Take care. That's Marcus Holman, one of the best players in the world right now uh, of the Ohio Machine, Team USA, and one of the hardest working guys on and off the field. Very cool to hear his his view on being a professional lacrosse player and what it takes to play at that level and, and also what it was like playing for his dad growing up and, and even at the collegiate level at the University of North Carolina. If you guys have people you want to hear us talk to, you've got ideas and thoughts on topics you want us to talk about, like I said in the intro, let us know. Hit us up on Twitter at RyanFlanagan24.